Hey, everybody, and welcome to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. My name is Andrea Pagnosi. I'm your host of this podcast, as well as a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everyone in 2022 to realize their true career fulfillment. And that's what we've been focused on this month. A final push for people to really kind of understand what to do when they're in the pivot in their career. We started out about a month ago with a program where we talked about initiating some sort of a career plan, career pathing, and knowing that it is up to us to really kind of drive that ambition, not necessarily leaving the company you're at. You may like the company, but you may just not love what you're doing anymore. So sometimes that does involve leaving an industry or trying something else out, leveraging transferable skills. That's one form of pivot. Another that we talked about was with Coach Mo, and he talked about the decision between becoming a consultant or a contractor instead of being a permanent employee. That is another major factor that a lot of people in the pivot of their career are really contemplating. You set your own hours, you set your pay scale, a lot of pros to it. And Coach Mo went through them soup to nuts. Then we segued with Rochelle Jesse to thinking about entrepreneurship. Three and a half million people on average through several months over the last 18 have left the workforce. It doesn't mean they didn't get another job. In fact, roughly a million people per month were opening up LLCs, S-Corps, some sort of corporate entity of their own business. So being an entrepreneur, Rochelle talked about the four steps to being a successful one. So if you haven't heard those episodes yet, I highly encourage them because these are all forms of the pivot. Today, we're going to be focusing on people who want to be promoted to leadership and be people managers. We're going to talk about the pros. We'll talk a little bit about the cons, but moreover, we'll talk about the elements of being a great leader. And this podcast is to serve as a bit of a public service announcement to everyone aspiring to promoted to management. Be a leader. The world is full of managers. Managers manage time. They chase numbers. They manage people's expectations. They manage and manipulate the way things should operate in a business. And leadership, true and honest leadership is what gets people motivated. It gets people's heads in the game. It gets people to feel like they belong to a community and that people care and support them. This isn't just about vulnerability. It's not a show about empathy and, and that we've certainly tackled those things this year. But what it is meant to do is to light a fire under people who want to be great leaders. Today, we're going to cover the six bases of what you need to possess to be the best leader you can be. This comes from extensive research, not just my clientele as a coach, many, many leaders over the years. And the research has been done by other companies as well as my own. Years of observation, satisfaction scores, hundreds of data points across numerous people and different industries who I've worked with managed, coached, mentored, interviewed, observed, trained, surveyed. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I've basically taken all of that information and collated it. And I've looked at the data and I've boiled it down to six essential skills that great leaders possess. These skills I call C6 leadership. 
I work with companies to integrate the logic behind these six skills and hone those skills for the leadership and the potential leadership of their talent bench, people that are being looked at as future leaders of organizations. And I have a patented coaching strategy for this. And for those of you that are looking for that promotion, looking to get ahead, pivot to a higher ground in your career, this is going to be a great episode to do that. Because if you've ever wondered what it takes to be a great leader, we're going to talk about those C-skills today. And they include connection, communication, commitment, curation, cultivation, and calibration. Some people are better than others at one or another of these C-skills, but each of them are essential to being a great leader. And it's a practice. It's a practice. There's no perfection. Some people may be good at communication, but they may have a problem with commitment, vice versa. Here's the thing though, behind all of the C-skills is one huge fact. Great leaders don't lead they follow. Great leaders don't lead, they follow. I have searched and scoured the internet to determine where that quote originally came from. It is not my quote. It has been said by many great leaders in various versions, but I like this one best. Great leaders don't lead, they follow. And they follow other leaders. They read, they listen to podcasts, they notice what other great leaders do on their mornings, during the day, in their business planning, not out of competition. They do it out of respect. You either want to emulate someone who lifted you up or make up for someone who knocked you down when you become a leader. That's 100% the truth. You're following in the footsteps of someone who has treated people miserably or was a saint, but either way, When you inherit a team, you're going to be public enemy number one. They are going to size you up. They are going to give you the sniff test. And if something stinks to high heaven, it's not going to be good. They will chew you up and they will spit you out if you let them. That's what teams do. So the key is to stand in front of them and make them part of the process of acclimation by letting them lead you, letting them lead you with boundaries, of course but let them lead the way. Let them tell you what they need to succeed. Let them tell you what their ambitions are. Get to know them, connect with them. Because getting a promotion to people leadership is a slippery slope. They take what you've done in a certain role, be it sales, be it marketing, be it manufacturing, and they praise you and you're a high achiever. And they say, if you can do this on your own, We want you to lead teams to do it as well. And I promise you, it will be the hardest job, if not for being a parent. It is the hardest profession you will ever have. And like a parent, you don't get a guidebook to do it well. You may get a program to onboard you. You may get to go to classes if you're lucky and take courses on becoming a great leader, read a lot of books, listen to a lot of podcasts, all of that stuff. But the typical way of learning to truly lead is trial by fire. A book can't have a conversation for you. Books will help you to conduct a conversation Let's say you have somebody on your team that's not pulling any weight. A book can give you pointers. Maybe there's some scripts in it you can follow. But the best way to authentically have a conversation is to have it. Be present in the moment, ask insightful questions, and learn. And when you do that, you build a connection. And that, my friends, is the first thing to establish when you become a leader, is connection. 
And if you're aspiring right now to be a leader and you aren't able to connect with people at the level you're at and encumber trust, you're not going to be seen as a future leader of an organization. And this is one of the number one things I find in my clients that are struggling to get promoted is that they don't put themselves out there and get to know people. They may have peers at work, they may have a good relationship with their manager, but they're not known far and wide for being truly connective. Something people did who are in positions of leadership at your company, around you, anywhere, in any industry, along the way, something people did who are in positions of leadership engendered trust in the people who propelled them from where they were to the leadership positions they're in today. And the funny thing is, the first thing someone will pick on you for and criticize you for when a leader becomes a CEO or vice president or a president, it's trust or the lack thereof. They'll say this person is not trustworthy. They don't commit to things. They don't connect with their people. They are horrible communicators. They're totally ambiguous. They don't build strong teams. They don't cultivate the culture. They don't measure things properly. These are the six C skills. So you're wondering where they derive from. That is what happened. When people are criticizing leaders, if they can't bring it back to what happens within the four walls of the company, then they start to attack people's character on social media. It's a cancel culture. If they say one thing wrong as a leader, whether or not it's during work hours, they will vilify people and they will talk about their character, not their ability to lead necessarily, but it, do you really want to work for somebody who has a bad reputation? No. So it is a very slippery slope to become a leader of people. You take on a lot of responsibilities and blame for things that are not necessarily yours to be blamed for, but to be accountable to. So know that you take on that responsibility and think very, very carefully about whether that's the type of role that's best for you. And if it is, build your integrity now. Find out, ask for 360 feedback on how you're perceived in your organization. Do people think you can connect with others? Ask HR, ask your manager, ask your peers. In a previous episode on 52 Weeks, we actually discussed the need to have anchors people that pull you along for opportunities and position you. Leaders are anchors and they also need anchors themselves. Let me share with you, connection is not about being everybody's best friend. I tried that very early in my career as a people manager. I was very young and I had been promoted to lead a team that I used to be a member of. So I was now leading people who were my peers five seconds before. That took a lot of trust building and it took a lot of learning on my part that just because they like you doesn't mean they like you as a leader. Being somebody's friend and letting them run amok does not win accolades at the corporate level. It just doesn't. Connection is about meeting people where they're at, understanding what they need and want to be successful, understanding who they are and what they bring to the table what affects them, how they receive feedback, and absolutely what motivates them. And I didn't begin to do any of those things. I just felt happy people are productive people. If I make them happy, if they trust me, I'll be in a good place. 
I would say 75, 80% of the time that worked. <laughs> but it, the hard part was the other 20% of the time when things got real, business wasn't going the way it should. Without connection, there was no trust there. Trust is what drives people. In the top three of the exit reasons during the Great Resignation, one of the biggest atrocities, and we're all to some degree guilty, was the people were not present. Managers didn't connect. I don't feel that my manager cares. I don't feel that my manager likes me or supports me. I don't feel like I'm part of a community. We are so guilty of this when we even talk to our children. Our heads are buried in a cell phone. We're so connected to social media, media in general. I mean, while you're listening to this podcast, you're probably doing two or three other things. Leaders, put the damn phones down make eye contact, even in a virtual world, a Zoom, an MS Teams, a WebEx, look into the camera, look at your people, listen to them when they're talking to you and be present. They listen more than they speak. Good, good leaders, they listen more than they speak and they engage with people, regardless of whether it's a virtual discussion, they are present. And when you have competing priorities, which you will, because if you take on a team, every team member has needs and they all feel they should be your top priority. So be pragmatic in your approach to what you can do for them, because being their best friend doesn't help. Connection is sometimes not doing anything. It's knowing your people well enough to know when it's time to lean in and knowing when it's time to back off and let them learn from something themselves and maybe coach them to empower them, but not do things for them. It is critical for them to feel like they can come to you as a safe haven, a place to vent, a place to run ideas by. They don't need you always to put the fire out. And oftentimes you shouldn't. It's about a great learning for people to empower them to problem solve. My favorite empowerment was when people would ask my advice on my team about something. Hey, this is going on. I want to do this. How do you think that sounds? And I'd give them some coaching, but they would execute it on their own and they come back and say it went awesome. I feel so pumped. That's another thing. Leading by doing is synonymous with walking the talk. So if you don't have a great connection with your leadership or the people around you, people will be very suspect of that. He's a great relationship with his teams, but nobody can stand him in the boardroom. That doesn't make any sense. Connection is not just to your people. Connection is to others in general. That's key. And when you talk about great leaders in different industries, the people who they remember are the people that shook their hand, that knew their name, that knew something about the business. Those are the people that truly connect, not the people that just sneak off the stage after a national meeting and you never see the whites of their eyes, but once a year. These are the people that reach out. And what leads people to want to continue to show up is when they do things and say things of value. Communication is another really important strength of any leader. I always erred on the side of over-communication. Because I was a good writer and speaker, I was often asked to draft things for my organization. I can't think of anything more distressing than a leader who can't communicate or that the integrity of what they do communicate is not trusted because it's often ambiguous. Ambiguity has no place in a business. People aren't putting up with it. Their give a damn is busted. 
they will leave. I understand the people who left companies in the wake of the pandemic. It was hard to be transparent about something people didn't anticipate or understand with a pandemic. And I think that people were looking for answers. So now when there's a basic business decision that isn't communicated, if they can't communicate even that, God forbid a pandemic were to happen again, I can't trust they can leave. It's like I say to client facing roles that I've trained over the years, over communicate. If your client needs something, even if you don't have the answers, let them know you'll find it. Still don't have the answer three hours later, let them know the status and that you're continuing to work on it. Check in. That goes back to connectivity. Keep in touch with people. If you go radio silent, you lose their trust. Communication at its core is what keeps the fires burning. People ask me all the time, why did you call your company Flint? It's not your last name. It's because a Flint, and this will take you back to eighth grade science class with the Bunsen burners, but a Flint is a, it's a little gadget that's iron on steel and it makes a spark. And that is what my business does with career empowerment. It lights a spark in people. It rejuvenates them. It relights their ambition, their passion to succeed and be happy doing what they're due for a living. That's why I call my company Flint. And there are really bad examples of communication in companies where they're completely demotivating and completely obnoxious. There are really high corporate examples of that right now in the world. One that comes to mind, and I've talked about it many times on this show, is Better.com. They came under enormous scrutiny last year when they laid off hundreds of people on a Zoom call. It was considered the most disrespectful thing, and it went viral as it was happening in the moment. And people were like, they could have connected better, they could have better communicated. That's not good leadership. So again, communication, connection, you're seeing a pattern here. They lack empathy and humanity. They probably are very straightforward in doing it that way. But a lot of people don't like the rip the bandage off type layoffs. They just don't. It's right up there with breaking up with somebody over a text message. Communication should never be one-sided. And really great leaders know that. Legalities matter. I get it. There are, there are a million reasons why those companies felt it was better to just do it that way. But people matter too. At least provide a forum for Q&A, some semblance of community. People want to be heard. And part of communication is listening. And as leaders, we're wired to react. Here's the fire, put it out. There's another fire, put it out. Oh, look up the way. There's another fire. Let's put that one out. Not always the best thing to do, because if you don't listen to what essentially somebody's telling you and clarify that what they said was what was intended as you understood it and you act on it, you could cause more fires than you put out. So listen, practice active listening skills. That's part of communication. Many people who want to be promoted will say, I don't have a voice because my manager does nothing but talk over me. They don't ask me questions. They don't wanna know anything about me. So when you do connect and you do communicate, again, it's a two-way dialogue. 
Ask insightful questions that bring people to the conversation. When you ask them, ask things like, tell me, share with me, help me understand. They will think well of you because what happens when people don't communicate well and they don't listen well and they don't ask those questions to seek to understand, they assume a lot. And so it's like you're speaking a different language. So align yourself with people as you're aspiring to be a leader. And when you are a leader, be the person that people want to align with who will spread the word if you don't have a stage. The people whose voices matter are usually the ones that are not welcome to the table. Be the person that welcomes those people to the table. Connect with people on the basis of trust and speak well of them. And this includes the written word. We always want to be careful what we put into writing. There's a lot of great advice out there that says when you write a letter to somebody, leave it alone, come back to it, and then erase the last three lines because you've gone over and above what you should even say. Really take it a step towards that direction. What you write to somebody, read before you send, even if it's a text message. If they're typos, okay, but it can be very offensive. In fact, there's a great episode of Key and Peel. It's in syndication now, but it was a great comedy sketch show uh, with Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peel. And it was a comedic accounting of what it's like to have a text conversation with somebody and how one person can totally misinterpret what's being said. And it is hilarious, but it is so true that the written word can be easily misconceived if not followed up with conversation. So when you're connecting, make sure the communication is clear, it's concise, and that it is well intended. Another thing that is habitually overlooked in terms of what needs to be communicated is commitment. And great leaders commit really, really well. Commitment is another C-skill, however, that is hyper-scrutinized in a corporate setting. I'll give you an example. I recently had a client that shared with me that she was under a performance improvement plan and she wanted to get off it. And that's why she hired me as a coach. The initial reaction she had was that I had never been given any type of coaching or feedback that it wasn't pulling my weight. It's not like I'm a salesperson and there's numbers. It really came down to competencies. And I wasn't told that I wasn't pulling my weight until my annual review. So this goes back to connection because connection should be early and often and communication. But the third part about performance improvement as a leader is committing to helping people. And when you do that, you commit to it in writing. Whatever is said needs to be followed up in writing. Because the first thing that people will scrutinize is you said you would, you didn't, I'm gone. This is the cancel culture of the corporate world. People's give a damn is busted. I've said that a couple of times now. So people aren't sweating excuses for leaders not doing what they promised. And promise is a word that is overused. It is. Because somebody said they would help you with something doesn't mean they promised they would help you. My 11-year-old son will say that I promised to take him somewhere. And in my mind, I said I, I would if I could. The other day, my son said you, said you would take me to the mall. I said, well, I told you I would if I could. He takes out his cell phone and shows me in a text message. I wrote, I will take you to the mall at four o'clock today. So 
I put it in writing. And so it did become to him a promise. You now, when somebody has texted you or written an email to you, which is always the better source of writing, you now have an opportunity to validate or correct if I've misinterpreted your commitment. So an example of that would be in yesterday's performance discussion, we talked about the fact that you're not quite where you should be. My commitment to you is X, Y, Z. And then you send it to the other person and the person says, well, that's not really how I heard it. I heard ABC. Okay, we'll meet in the middle. A little bit of A, a little bit of X, a little bit of Z. And now you have your appropriately interpreted commitment. But these are things that are very basic skills that leaders get wrong all the time. They will backtrack, they will backpedal, they will ignore comments about how they said they would do a particular, you said we weren't gonna lay anybody off. You just laid off 15% of the workforce. And they get blamed, and this is what I said earlier in the episode, as a leader, you need to be really clear that this is the type of work you wanna be doing because you're gonna get blamed for things that are decisions that are made over your head or around you that you didn't necessarily like or have input on, but you have to take accountability and responsibility for those decisions with your team. So being committed to your team means standing up for your team, but it's sometimes made harder by decisions that are beyond your control. So communicating with people that that is the case up front and connecting with people from an honest place Those are the first three C's. The fourth C is one that a lot of people get caught up in, and that's curation. Curation, by its true meaning, means a collection of things that you collate and you assign into certain buckets or systems. So a curator of a museum will take in artifacts and things like that and create a a scenery or a repository, a library of, of these artifacts and present them in a certain way. That's what a curator of a museum does. So when you're curating your team or the environment that they work within, you have to approach it with the mindset that people really hate ambiguity. They need to understand things. They need to understand what their role is, how they're measured, what tools and resources are available for them to be successful. And great leaders enable people to learn and provide the tools that will bridge the gaps. They know where their people's strengths are. They know where their, their weaknesses are. They know where the opportunities are and where their threats exist. A SWOT analyze, that's a SWOT, S-W-O-T, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. They know where those things reside in their teams and they champion what works and they don't champion what doesn't, but they don't shove the things that aren't working under the carpet. They meet with their teams collectively to determine how best to approach it moving forward. What's the action forward? It's a we, not a me mentality. And that's a big thing that people are looking for. They want to be well-trained. They want to be well-developed. They want opportunity within the confines of the organization and they want support, but they also want to be part of the process. And that's part of curation and great leaders do that. It's not just being an anchor and pulling people along. It's yes and. It's being an anchor and also helping curate what tools and resources are needed for teams to succeed. 
And many leaders are not good trainers and that's okay. That doesn't mean you do it yourself. It means you're a great champion of what your teams need. So you may pull levers within an organization with learning and development or HR and determine where they can get the tools and resources that their team needs. It doesn't mean you create them. It's not create, it's curate. So that's what curation focuses on. And I've worked with many leaders to try to build their ability to find solutions and be solutions-minded and not be handed things by an organization. Because if you wait until it's handed to you, it may be too late. That may be why you're losing good talent. Proactive curation can cure that type of turnover. When there is turnover, cultivation is critically important. And I think people are starting to do this better and are doing it vastly differently than they ever have before. I ask everybody to remember at this moment what it means to you, particularly if you are aspiring to become a leader and haven't gotten that role yet. Remember at this moment what it means to you to have advocacy how important it is for you to have support and how hard it is to be patient to attain leadership status. It can be excruciating. I've worked five years for this company and I've never even been looked at. They don't even consider me when I apply. I hear that all the time. At some point when you become a leader, remember where you came from and pull people along, cultivate talent within an organization. You'll be happy you did. There's a great picture that I saw online and I've actually reposted the picture and thanked the person who posted it. It says it's a sign and it says, be the leader you wish you had. I cannot agree with that more. One of the things that great leaders do particularly well is build teams. They build teams holistically. And that's what cultivating a culture means. It means bringing people into an organization or into a system where everyone plays a role because you're thinking about it holistically. You're not thinking about individuals or warm bodies filling roles. You're thinking about, I have a team of five people. Mary is really good at time management. Tom is exceptional with analytics. Mary's not so great at analytics. Tom's not so good with you know, time management. So Mary and Tom, you guys are going to mentor each other and it's making those connections. So again, it goes back to connection. It's communicating to Mary and Tom. You guys are going to have a buddy system. It's making sure that you are committing to them what you're going to do to raise the bar for them. We have a vacancy on our team. The person who left was particularly good at XYZ. I'm going to try to find somebody. If you guys know of anybody who's in the marketplace, send their resume along. We need somebody who's looking for A, B, and C. Leaders don't do that. They focus on the job description of a vacancy and they look for the, the talent, bringing somebody in who has experience, believing them to be a good choice because the learning curve won't be as high. So they'll be immediately able to do their job. The funny part is that's so opposite of the truth. It is absolutely diametrically opposed to what you should be doing. It doesn't mean you don't hire people with experience. That's not what I'm saying. But don't think that when you do, they don't need to be trained exactly like every other newbie that comes into your company. 
That's a misconception and it's done all the time. You need to train people effectively the same way, even if they come in with 15 years experience, because guess what? They've not done the job at your company. So the way you do it may not be the way the competitor did it. So assume that everybody is coming in clean slate, tabula rasa. You're breeding good talent. You're cultivating a culture of continuous learning and support. So when you're looking at candidates, leaders, be looking at the bigger picture. Yes, maybe their learning curve will be less steep than hiring somebody who's a complete novice. And yes, the client of that person probably wants somebody who is a little more tenured. Great. Ask the clients, do you have anybody that you've worked with that you think might be a fit for this role? Make them part of the process. That's cultivating. Collaboration goes hand in hand with cultivation. Really strong leaders know that they don't have all the answers. So they tap into the people and surround themselves with people who have the answers they don't. And we talk ad nauseum about cultures and ecosystems and all of these things. These things have to be cultivated. Cultivate, by the very definition of the word, farmers cultivate soil. They fortify the soil with good minerals and nutrition so that when they find a really strong crop, they mass produce it in healthy soil. That's what cultivation is. We do the same thing in a corporate structure and really good leaders know how to fortify the soil. So cultivation plays an important role. Calibration is the sixth and final C. Check once, check twice, check again from over, under, beside your team to identify where you can help where you need to teach and what you need to keep an eye on. Perception is monumental in an organization and a leader is often measured by the quality of their people. So if they're not on top of how everybody is doing, without being a micromanager, it's easy to do, to oversee, to have an eagle's eye, but a bird's eye view, to calibrate people. Because if people are not playing their weight, it's not about pointing fingers and playing. It's about doing your job as a leader to coach them and develop them and curate, as I said before, cultivate by bringing in good talent that will be able to trust you, connect with you, communicate with you, and that you can commit to helping. See how all the C's come together here. But calibration is important because you have to see the development, the opportunity, the achievement in order to be a strong leader and in order to over deliver on your expectations and build the quality of your team. If you have a squeaky wheel, they can overshadow the strong people you do have on the team. Knowing how your team is perceived is almost more important than how you're perceived because it doesn't matter how awesome you are how well you communicate, how connected you are to your people. If a person on your team is abhorrent to deal with and other teams in the company know it, your value as a people leader just went down 20 points. Suddenly, because of the one, you're a horrible leader. And it completely overshadows the people that are doing a really good job. And bad seeds can actually be malignant and they can spread in an organization. So you have to evaluate consistently. But I will submit to you the part that most leaders do this well, they weed out the wrongdoers and the the naysayers and the, the cancers that grow within an organization. They do that pretty well. What they don't do well is champion the people that are working their butts off, oftentimes trying to make up for the squeaky wheels. And 
those are the people that we let run on autopilot. The best leaders don't let strong performers run on autopilot. They champion their efforts and they enable them probably even more than somebody who is on a performance improvement. And lately, the clients that I have spoken to have been those high performers that have been ultimately neglected by their leadership, often given more work added to their plate because they know that they can do it. And then when my clients leave, the leadership is like, well, if you wanted to be promoted, why didn't you tell me? I didn't, but I got a promotion because I'm leaving because people actually are going to spend time with me. They're invested in seeing me succeed. You were more invested in the bottom line, the dollars and cents. You were too busy, focused on the things we didn't have than to appreciate the things you did. And I'm not saying that people should say that when they lead an organization. And as a coach, I never coached to that. I've heard that was said to a lot of managers that were just absolutely in disbelief. How can you leave me? You're my shining star. Well, somebody else realized my worth and value and made me an offer I couldn't refuse. That's called being a leader asleep at the wheel. Calibration is not just about whether somebody is making their numbers. It is about whether somebody is fulfilled in what they do. It is satisfaction. You calibrate not just for enjoyment or for numbers, but the third thing you need to calibrate for is how well you communicate, how connected you are to your team, how you're doing on commitment. Is there trust? Has there been a breach of trust? What do you need to overcome? What are the skill sets they want to work on? What are their aspirations? So it's a cycle. These C6 leadership skills are a cycle. Calibration goes back to connection. Connection goes back to communication and so forth. So calibrating is threefold. It's are they achieving their goals? Are they happy where they are? And are they able to really trust you? really connect with you, really enjoy working with you. That's what great leaders are able to do. Having said all of this, I am fortunate to say that most of the people that I have been lucky enough to work for and with in my career have been great leaders. Even those who really didn't do an outstanding job, I was able to learn from my experience with them. So I hope that everybody has gotten uh, some learning from this and can look back on their experiences with leaders. This has been a great opportunity to talk about my passion, which is helping leaders be the best they can be. And I highly encourage you, if you are looking for a leadership position, to invest in building whichever of these skills are not your top. Because the more polished you can present yourself with EC skills, the better off your chances for promotion will be. But I also want to take a caveat and say, think carefully about what you heard in this episode today and see if these are skills you want to be exercising. Just because the next logical step is to management doesn't necessarily mean you should take it. There are other opportunities to pivot to if the job you're doing today is no longer fulfilling. And we will continue to inspire you in ways to think about those other opportunities. I thank everybody for listening today. I look forward to reconnecting with you all next week, same time, same place, even more power.